0: The trauma Healing Learnings, based on one mom's journal entries, recorded in real time from a catastrophic event with her son that you've been listening to in the Blink of an Eye story.
1: Life can change in the blink of an eye. Hello, dear ones. Think of all the things that go into making your home a place that is livable to you. There might be many things you take for granted that make your days in your house full of ease. You might have a certain hook where you hang your coat each day. You might be hydrated by purified cold water that comes out of your tap whenever you turn it on. Or maybe it's the overall sense of safety and security because of the decor or that you can lock and open your doors when you want. You could probably make a list pages long of things of comfort you barely consider in your day to day living. While well, when someone's life circumstances drastically change following a serious injury or illness, the list of necessities to make a home livable and comfortable can also change significantly, and sometimes, in unexpected ways. Today, we will learn more from Kathy Kirshner, who has made her life's work supporting families through such transitions, as it relates to design considerations for their home. Prepare to be surprised and inspired by the ways we can come together to make a home more accessible with and for our loved ones. Whether spinal cord injured, or with other
2: physical challenges. Are you or someone you know looking for that next step in your career? Are you interested in mediation, conflict resolution, or conflict transformation? For 30 years, Baltimore Mediation has been a leader in the dispute resolution and conflict transformation field, training professional mediators and leaders across the U.S. In methods of conflict intervention and decision-making support from a relational approach. Trainings with Baltimore Mediation will give you the knowledge and skills to promote quality dialogue and informed decision-making between multiple people involved in conflict, whether in the workplace, family system, court system, or daily life. Baltimore Mediation's trainings are nationally acclaimed and sell out quickly. If you act now, you can secure one of the few spots open for the upcoming training. The 20-hour short course Advanced Conflict Transformation and Mediation Skills Training with a focus on family conflicts, parenting plans, and trauma. Find out more and register on their website at www.baltimoremediation.com.
1: Welcome to Season 3, Trauma Healing Learning 21, Design Tips for an SCI Accessible Home, with Kathy Kirshner. If you have been following our Blink of an Eye story episodes, you know there was a whole team forming to help me with the home renovations we needed to make for Archer's return home from the Shepherd Center. One special contact I made during that time was Kathy Kirshner, whose experience and insights were invaluable in opening my eyes to the many considerations for a home renovation, or in our case, a room renovation. Kathy has a background as an occupational therapist and has a deep understanding of many life-altering injuries and medical concerns that impact someone's day-to-day quality of living. She took that experience as well as her training in home modification, gerontology, and aging in place, and created a company, Accessible Home Solutions, in Maryland, which helps individuals and families through the process of reworking their homes to be more accessible. Kathy's clients include people transitioning from hospitals or care facilities and returning home with a new disability. Couples who want to age in place and account for long-term health considerations, and adult children who want to ensure their parents live in a safe home environment. She also works with the Center for Innovative Care and Aging at Johns Hopkins School of Nursing, the D.C. Office on Aging's Safe at Home program, and Habitat for Humanity of Metro Maryland's Capable. Community Aging in Place, Advancing Better Living for Elders program. I was truly blessed to reconnect with Kathy. If you have direct experience with disability, either yourself or your loved ones, you know how it changes your relationship to your home. Well, this trauma healing learning will give you some ideas about what to consider. And if you do not have direct experience with disability, you may gain important perspectives on what you could be taking for granted about how you and others navigate the world, including the home environment. Wherever you are in your journey, I am so glad you found us, and I feel so grateful and honored to share resources that can be life-affirming on each of our healing journeys. If you find something interesting in this trauma healing learning, Please share it with one person who might resonate. That is the single most helpful thing you can do to spread the word and help us raise the vibration for healing. You can also leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Well, let's settle in. Take a deep breath. and open our minds to all the different ways we can recreate a home that is expansive enough to hold each of us in safety and in comfort, even with new daily needs related to aging or disability. Here we go. Welcome, 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 Kathy Dorlene Kirshner. Louise, happy to be here. How did you, Kathy, get into the field of accessible home design?
3: Well, uh, I was an occupational therapist for many years, worked in hospitals and home care settings, long term care settings. And then We came to Washington, I worked in disability policy. And then I had my children. And so didn't work for a number of years, but met a very good friend, another preschool mom, who was a retired Army physical therapist. And she worked at Walter Reed for many years. And she and I were raising our children and also taking care of our aging parents. And my background in OT and hers in PT, we we were putting our heads together and seeing that for our parents that there were a lot of people out there putting themselves out as experts in this space of home modifications. And you know, truly we know our lane. We're not we're not construction experts, we're not builders. Um But we we understood that we understood the disease process, the recovery and rehabilitation process. And that kind of gave us a unique eye in looking at our homes and and what was not working for our aging parents. And so then we started to explore um, developing this company. And so that's how it happened. And turns out that there, you know, there is a lot of room for this kind of insight into what can make this individualized design process better. Like I said, it's not for everybody, but understanding what it means from the therapist's point of view when they say you have a c6 incomplete injury and how that translates into function and then looking at someone's historical home or any home and trying to translate that into you know everyone has a budget and everyone has a space that. Has to be worked with. And I think that's what I learned most from working in the DC Office on Aging project, the Safe at Home project, that there are very complicated historical homes. I remember there was this one home with 52 steps to enter and a person in a wheelchair that needed to make it home. And there's, you know, Obviously, if you have unlimited resources and can build a whole new space, that's a that's a, a one in a thousand kind of possibility. Most people don't have that, and but that doesn't mean that there aren't things that are aren't possible that can be done that can make it functional. Yeah, and um, and it, it, truly, there are so many products out there now. Sorting through all that can be kind of daunting, but it is. gift to have this embarrassment of riches right so many different choices for you know in product selection and what can you do i just i think that it's important to do it as early as you can imagine your loved one coming home is to get that process started it should really be part of I think the discharge plan, you know, from the beginning. I'm not really sure what kind of guidance you were given, Louise, when, when you were going through it, but just the turnaround time, length of stay, when you think of any kind of construction project, if you've just kind of gone through a simple renovation in your home, how long that takes. And just think, how much more complicated this
1: is, right? Yeah, I remember some pieces incredibly crystal clear, but the idea of renovating a home was so far from my thinking in the first month of Archer's injury. Granted, he had additional secondary issues complications from the drowning and all the water in his lungs and complete severing of the spinal cord and then you've got all the lung issues and of course they go together which is why what happens sometimes with complete injuries but i do remember this i think almost assumption that had been made by the first hospital that we would be just going home like it never occurred to the hospital the the icu staff what you're speaking about that to where? To what home? And no attention whatsoever given to that, or even a whisper of by a nurse saying, you know, are you thinking about your home? There was just nothing. It's ICU. It's critical care. It's intensive care. And then when things weren't working out, it would be to be discharged to a long-term acute care facility. So again, that's no one's thinking about home there either. It's to another facility. And then I, I remember at the Shepherd Center, uh, there wasn't any discussion then until around mid-October. So that would be two months and a week where it was, are you working on home modifications? And it was just like, ah, you know, oh my gosh. And then there was a nurse or two, there was an assumption that we would have just been moving. Because you know, they know all the things that you know and that I didn't know about what actually is needed. And I do remember them saying, does your home have steps to get in? And when I said yes, and they said how many, and I said it's on a couple different levels, they there was just an assumption that our family would be moving. Mm-hmm. And that was never in my sphere of of what was possible, and of course, I know that that is actually very real for spinal cord injured families looking at the real long term to have to move. What you think about that it's moving a whole family, it's moving out of a neighborhood, it's moving out of friendship circle, a support circle. These things can really be quite calamitous. I mean just full of tragedy for families but sort of on the you know heels of your question to me it really wasn't for at least a couple months when someone even sort of breathed the word to me and of course we didn't have a budget we had no clue it was like well how are we going to get Archer up to his bedroom which was on the third floor and so the very first thing I delved into to take a look at was, how are we going to get an elevator into our historic home? And that was the very first to learn that we really couldn't with the way our, the steps that went up the middle of the house, there wasn't room to cut an elevator through there. And then we looked at what we put an elevator on the outside of the house. Right. Right. And that would not be approved historically, but even so, like, well, we'll get it approved. But then it was, we live in a very four seasons climate. And how could we get Archer in there with snow and ice? And there were all those kinds of pieces. And we didn't have enough land between our home and the house next door to where we could do that. And our neighbors are so incredibly generous. They probably would have allowed us, you know, we've we've done things back and forth over the years, but those were some of the biggest considerations at the very beginning. And then the sadness that Archer will never get to his bedroom again, you know, he'll never be on the third floor again, or that's where he'd draw and paint, and where his other siblings had bedrooms up there, or would he ever get to the second floor? You know, and realizing that the answers to that were no. And for me, it was, well, for right now, we'll figure it out later. And so I'll I'll just pause there. But that's what was happening for us on the front end.
3: Right. So many adjustments, right? And, and it it makes you look at the house in a whole different way in terms of what your new normal is like yeah. It's a lot to go through, but on the flip side of that, when so much of your what you're going through is out of your control and um there seems to be so much and there is so much loss when you can look at your house in a new way and envision this loved one coming home and how you're going to make that happen piece by piece and decision by decision there's some healing in that and it's another gift that you're giving to your loved one saying come hell or high water (laughs) in this house, back to your house. That is how it was. It doesn't have to look like, and it shouldn't look like, if it's done well, your hospital room. yeah, It should look like your room and and be a healing place. Um, And it can be. But there's, you know, it takes a it takes a lot
1: of coordination. Another (laughs) huge consideration for us on that beautiful part was how could we get Archer into the house, even the first floor, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is all of our common family living space, and it was going to be then a den or a place that we had a den and a bathroom and like a bar, and how would how it was that he'd get into the house itself and a separate entrance for him with the Mm -hmm. ramp. And Archer, it was the one thing Archer weighed in on in the ICU experience when this was happening, when we were back in the ICU, once we had gotten in our third facility at that point, and when about the time I talked with you in December, he didn't want to go in a separate entrance into our house. He wanted to go in the same door everybody else goes through. So. Done, right? Done. Absolutely. Does that now mean a ramp right up the front sidewalk into the door? And uh, how does everybody else get out and it's not wide enough and or through the side or we bring it up to the side and we, we brought it up to the side and cut through a lot of stucco and stone to then. But that was bring a important around.
3: priority, right? It was
1: a really important priority.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It really was because we couldn't slope it from the, we couldn't get enough ADA slope to bring them right up through the center.
3: Right. Because you need so much ramp for each rise, each. Yeah. A foot foot per inch. A foot per inch. And so you'd need a ramp from your front door to Cleveland. Exactly, Exactly. In order to make it you know, to, for it to pass whatever permitting process. But, um, but knowing his priority, that's where you put your energy, right? And, and that can determine your budget too, right? Because if that's number one for him, that may not be, you know, that may be different for someone else. And that's, that's, I think important, To take a look at the house early on, knowing its limitations, because the nurses who asked just how many steps you had in your house, that's a good kind of basic start. But just where your house, does it sit on a hill? Is there, um, you really need to have a couple of safe ways to get in and out in the event of a fire, for example, right? So having someone just know walk your house and communicate with your therapist early on and know your priorities and also know what budget you're looking at. You know, are there insurance considerations that are going to pay for this renovation? And so that you can start planning Early on, you know, what those challenges are going to be, because I'm sure that kind of excavation that it would take to get a zero step entry into your front door. You've got to line up a contractor who's willing to do that and do it on your time frame so that you can get your loved one home when they get discharged.
1: That's right. So there's the there's just access into the house. And then, of course, there's the space, the living space for your loved one. And another consideration that was very paramount for us were the rest of our family members. They play lacrosse in the front yard. They, we have lots of people in and out and bicycles that go in and out. And, um, and I think Archer, even though he wasn't weighing in on that by personality, he would not want to be, have been like, oh, that's all Archer. It's all in the spotlight kind of thing. He's, he's mm-hmm. a bit private in that regard. So I had to also be thinking about making it aesthetically pleasing for everyone. I have a, a relatively good sized garden and we were going to take all that up to get a, a ramp through if we were going to move it onto the side. And then it was all of a sudden like, well, wait a second. Why can't we just put this ramp, re, you know, change the garden and put the ramp right through and put the garden on either side of the ramp and and leave space for the lacrosse net on this other side of and so it it began to take on I think what you mentioned earlier these possibilities that were actually very therapeutic in terms mm-hmm. of what was possible. And people were donating wood and nails and we had people saying, "We'll we'll come build a ramp," which was really extraordinary and beautiful but our neighborhood wouldn't allow it us to just put in a, a wooden ramp but I did feel very comforted by that that come hell or high water we were bringing Archer home and we would have carpenters out there making something makeshift and once he was inside we'd build it I mean those thoughts were in my mind too because we just didn't know when we would be discharged right but it was pretty much an October end of January turnaround. It was incredible.
3: Yeah, another. I your point about you know it's the family home as well.
1: Yeah,
3: is important. It, and the, another consideration is that it's likely that a number of the people that listen to this podcast will, will have caregivers in their home and whatever modifications that you make need to consider their safety and comfort and privacy as well. You know, you want to make sure that if they're working with their loved one, they have ample space to work. You know, like you were saying, you know, access to the bed from whatever side or both sides makes sense. The height of the bed that makes sense for them to be able to work Safely from or the bathroom, so that they're, you know, there are people in your house that you don't want to become injured because you know the house doesn't work for them. It's so um,
1: true about the caregivers. Where for us, we were looking at we were going to be the caregivers, and we were raising the funds to do the the renovation, and people were helping us with that, and. I think about the caregiver piece because now with the nonprofit, Blink of an Eye, and visiting other spinal cord injured families, I have not experienced in our home or any of theirs a separate space for caregivers. And spinal cord injured people do need 24-7 care or someone who's very close by. You can't necessarily feed yourself, get the hair up out of your eyes, blow your nose, move if something's happening to your body. But you also need to be fed. And if you choked or if something went down the wrong pipe or just a host of things, you need to have somebody pretty close by. And I just noticed that the caregivers who have been in the families, including those whom we hire who come into our house in the morning to help us with Arch's program, they're just they're just either sitting in Archer's room or they were just sitting in the kitchens of the other families uh, with the families. So that is a really important consideration. And I'd say most homes are not set up with that. There might be a, I guess another bedroom maybe allowed or given for that caregiver, but not a, not a lot of homes also have a spare bedroom right. for that. Right. So that's a that's a complicating factor. And it is very real because I know that has it has created stress for families of spinal cord injured loved ones when a caregiver and there has to be some level of caregiving for even the family who is doing it all themselves to get some some help, some respite, even if that's the case. But there's oftentimes a a real blending. And if if those relationships, it hasn't become like another family member and they might not actually be in the mood for including another family member, nor Mm. might the caregiver want to be included as a family member. You've got all those dynamics too. So how do you Mm. advise families on that, Kathy? Well,
3: it needs to be part of the equation right? You were talking about considering an elevator for Archer. And so the considerations need to be for the space of the elevator, right? The historical nature of your home, right? Whether it works inside or outside, how big does that elevator cab need to be for Archer, for his equipment, for his power wheelchair, for a caregiver? What are the weight considerations for all those things combined, right? And I think that whoever the caregiver is, it needs to be part of how does this space work? The space needs to work for Archer, for his equipment, for the person who's helping him to be able to do it safely. And that's just part of it no matter who that person is but those privacy considerations those adjustments it's just another th- another thing on the list right another change another accommodation
1: we put in 42 electrical outlets uh-huh. in just the space around his bed area, his, his bedroom. And where did you put them? We lined the walls with them, but we also did put up, put a couple up higher.
3: Yes. Right. <laughs> That's the key. So you're not crawling around trying to plug things in. That's right. And there's, and there's, and there's so much equipment wise that you have to kind of keep in mind too, right? Oh my goodness, um, yes. So that's all very unique to this. And process. the width of
1: the machine, his oxygen machine that needed mm-hmm. to be at the end of the bed or close by, but another machine that actually needed to keep the mattress with the imperceptible air blowing to try and create an air current beneath his body and the mattress. So to minimize bed sores, that needed to absolutely be attached to the bed. So that was adding another like eight to 10 inches on the length of a bed. And so it's all those kinds of things where in some ways you don't know till you get there. Or you can have a someone like a Kathy Kirshner. we found that even the privacy consideration for your loved one because of the spinal cord injured people most whom i have visited and met their rooms are now on the first floor of a house when their rooms had been upstairs mm-hmm. if they have a home that is two or three stories that they too need some privacy and ironically for us i love to reclaim old historic kinds of things. And so it was around reclaiming old wood doors and paneling and so forth to try and reuse it because I knew it would also be beautiful, could please Archer in that regard if he was going to have to be in there for significant periods of time. But I had no idea for how long. Well, it turns out with for spinal cord injury that the body is never with a complete injury regulating the temperature. So the 45 degree hospital rooms in the ICU and then the hospital and then the rehab setting that I'd become used to and wearing a parka with my shorts now became a room that was typically regularly at like 78 degrees, which is where we are now, to be able to have those doors closed for not only privacy, but to have put in a separate heating and air conditioning system that allows for the rest of the family members to live in a an environment that is temperature appropriate for them, whatever that is for your family, sixty-eight degrees in the winter or whatever that is. That might sound cold to some, but it's usually what it is for us. Where Archer's room is at seventy-eight, sometimes eighty. Or in the summertime it flips. That's another aspect of privacy, but also making sure that someone doesn't get isolated. As well, So you've got those kinds of considerations that one might not think about on the front end, because you haven't lived that yet. And I think as it relates to so many other diseases or things that happen, we're, we're in the hospital, or you have ACL tear, and you get re- knee replacement, or you have hip replacement, or you fall, or you have rehab, and then you get back to your normal. That's not, that's not the case with uh, catastrophic injury mm-hmm. where you have to create a new normal.
3: And it's not just like, oh, we've got, we got in the door, we got a bedroom and a shower set up. That's good. That's basic. But what about the rest of the house? Where are the life of the family happens, right? What about access to the kitchen and to the dining space and, and so that you can be a part of everyday activities. And um, so really taking a look at the whole of the house is really important too, because you don't want to be living through constant construction. It's too disruptive, right? So if you can have the foresight to kind of look at all these spaces in advance and say, okay, but we're going to do this. We're going to get our contractors in and do all these things that are important to our loved ones re-entry to the home. And we're going to do it in a way that is most economical.
1: I think but- that what you're speaking about for families, that the renovation of a home, whether it's the the one access in and then the one room, and then taking into consideration safety that you've mentioned a number of times, as well as then access out of the bedroom to other parts of the home, that it is so important to know in that construction process so that it doesn't go on forever and ever and ever. And a family can't afford time-wise and, and perhaps dollars-wise either for something to go on forever and ever and ever, but for sure, quality of life-wise. But the idea of having a project manager, preferably you with somebody else so that you can, but some people might just want to abdicate it entirely, which is perfectly fine as well. But the idea that you have to stay on top of every single day what is happening in the construction. And Mm -hmm. if you hire somebody to do that, They have to be on top of it every single day as if they were you. Because just like any construction project and wonderful contractors, you have to be in constant communication because supplies and manpower, people power, everything shifts. It's such a rare situation. And I have now done a number in my life. And as a mediator, I've mediated many construction matters, but it's a rare situation where the contractors, oh my gosh, you know, it's, it's rife with problems to begin with, but then you add on the tight timeline um, in a renovation for a dis- disability. It's really important to get some help. I'm just laughing too, because I I think of one of the biggest things I realized was, oh my golly, now we need to rehab a bathroom. That was was easy in the way of, I get it, we're going to need to rehab a bathroom. But then realizing, oh, it really needs to be a a wheel in bathroom, but it's like, oh my gosh, how do we do that? You know, Archer's in a power chair. Well, then it had need to be large enough to get him from his power chair to a shower chair, to then wheel in. And that was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to do that? And then we needed like the lift in the in the ceiling, or yeah. uh, you know, mm-hmm. and would it swing across the room and all those kinds of things for just how to again, access into another room. And and so right. for us, it became an extension. And
3: some things like, what about? Tile selection so that it doesn't break under the weight of a power chair, right, right? Right. Plus, you know, Archer's weight, or where should the controls for the shower be so that the ca- caregiver doesn't have to get wet while they're regulating the temperature before they get your loved one in? And the, I mean, it's not. I mean, there. It's really the little things. Like my mother used to say, the little things mean the most. They really, these little details can really make a big difference.
1: They really, really make such a big difference, like the hose on the shower. Because for the caregiver, whoever of us is doing the bathing, but also for for your loved one because just like any of us, we get in the shower, we're testing the water. We don't just typically like just plunge into a super hot shower or, or super cold or while we're waiting for the water to warm up. So just that gentle ability with the hose on the body of the of the person who is disabled is important. And and our our because our house is, is old, the room that we were redoing for the bathroom and then the shower, which ended up, of course, taking in the the room that had been part of a larger room. But it was only so wide. And so I realized, oh my gosh, I can go find one of those teeny tiny little sinks that is like 10 inches wide because Archer won't be brushing his own teeth or the caregiver will need the water and then putting a, a big long, like a soda fountain faucet on for the caregiver to make it super easy to get cups under there, to get whatever he was gonna need with water bottles and straws and things like that for him, but the sink itself allowed so much more space for him to wheel in to take a shower because the sink's so tiny. Again,
3: thinking about that, (laughs) like who
1: would imagine it's a matter of
3: what's what's priority for him, right? Yeah. That wasn't priority for him. And and that's where perhaps you know, a very well-intentioned contractor might lead you to toilet and bidet and sink considerations that aren't really on your radar, right? It's really about the shower, right? And making that as as functional as you can make it. And I know that some people find they have full body dryers that are, you know, the length of, you know, from floor to ceiling. And that can really be a great temperature regulator and and caregiver assist too and you know and and radiant floor heating and those kinds of things so it's like you know you kind of have to steer your contractor to these are the things that are going to be important in this unique situation and it may not be something that they've ever done before so they you know you really want a contractor who is willing to. Learn and defer those decisions, or at least confer about those decisions with you. And you know, my bias is an occupational therapist that has home modification credentials at, who's working with your loved ones, therapists to they can also guide you because you've learned so much in this process, but those lessons were hard hard learned. Right. And asking the, the right questions of therapists or of the nurses would have maybe let you get the process started sooner. Yeah. I love that. Um, You're the
1: way that you approach things, Kathy, is to be talking with and collaborating with the therapist, the physical therapist, the occupational it's, therapist.
3: It's very much a team effort, you know.
1: So and, much so. Well, it's and, why people really need someone like you. And I'm just wondering, what does the process, if you would be so willing to share with listeners, what does it look like for contacting a you or or someone similar to you? And I don't know if there are too many other people in the country who are similar to you, but what does that look like and especially now with Zoom, is that possible? Right. you walk us through that
3: right right, right. well, there is a a very reputable credential for therapists and others through the University of Southern California has an executive certification and home modifications. It's through their school of gerontology. And it's a very well done continuing education program that credentials therapists like me, physical therapists, occupational therapists. And I think that's a good place to start. They have a directory Of folks around the country. And I can give you the contact information so that you can put it up on your site. But um, so you can search geographically by zip code to see if there's someone in your area. But I think that's a great credential in addition to just your basic therapy credentials. There's another source that is uh, there is an OT in Michigan. Her name is Karen Cook, spelled K-O-C-H, and she runs the Occupational Therapy Home Modification Alliance. And it's basically a, she is like an OT wrangler for, for folks around the country. She actually has a business. I think her husband is a contractor and she's an OT and this is how she kind of Came to it, but she tries to, people contact her and she tries to make a match for people around the country with an OT in their area. But I, I guess I would say, you know, there are all kinds of OTs, there are all kinds of nurses, there are all kinds of physical therapists. Everybody has their specialty area. I would really look for somebody who has that ECHM credential. I think that's kind of, at least as things stand right now, that's the highest level of uh, and and ask the person about their number of years experience. um, And their specific experience with spinal cord injury. Right? I think you it, it is unique. And that may be more difficult to come by. I don't have that much experience with spinal cord injury. But I think that really just depends on Maybe what area of the country that you're in, or kind of what your clinical background was. That's that's not my specialty area. Um, The the things that I've been talking about today are kind of more general in in terms of home modification. That's not to say that it can't be done, and you can ask. You know, if you can find somebody with that credential, I think that's great. And perhaps therapists wherever your loved one is rehabbing can give you a referral. And how does it some. work
1: for families with regard to payment? Or is it that these are services that insurance companies, if, if there's an accident or a motor vehicle accident, or if there's some kind of litigation, that the insurance companies then are in partnership? If I had hired you or we had reached out, how does a family pay for these things? Or how do, yeah.
3: do they get paid for? I think that's as individual as the person right? And if if there's an insurance situation, if there's automobile insurance or workers compensation, whatever the insurance is, it needs to be looked at. I think the tricky part is if your loved one is also receiving occupational therapy inpatient, and they're receiving an occupational therapist services as a consultant you can't bill for two occupational therapy services. So that's in life circumstances. If I were working with you, uh, it would have been probably private pay. And that's something that rate, I think, for most people is negotiable. But it also can be considered, I think, an investment because there are many very expensive mistakes that you can make, right? And I guess if somebody says to me at the end of a job that this is the best thing that we did, I never would have thought of it if we hadn't talked to you. It's like just the best thing.
1: I think it's such a great and important consideration to find people with the expertise to do like, a one-time consultation that that might actually turn into you know a, a working relationship but just that just to be educated it's so important on on the front end right
3: and that's usually the way i work that is you know i will set up an assessment and write out an extensive report that you can take to your contractor and we'll have product selections and And you could come back to me with questions, but if you would want to engage me for more work, that might be on it, you know, we might negotiate an hourly rate or something like that. But for the most part, the bulk of it can be done with uh, an assessment and a written report. So it doesn't have to be um, a really burdensome prospect for families financially.
1: No, I think it's very hopeful that a family could call or go to the Occupational Therapy Home Modification Alliance, wherever they lived, and find a Kathy Kirshner or something like your Accessible Home Solutions and have a home visit and then get that written report. Would that be like a few thousand dollars for them to do that? Is it is that around the cost of it for families looking at it? Is mm-hmm. it less than that?
3: You know, I think each practitioner would kind of set their rate. It depends on where you live, you know, and and what the scope of work would be. You would say, you know, I want to engage you throughout the construction process and and through the, the selection of products and the placement of them till my loved one gets home. That would be a different rate than if you would say, I really just need you to come in, take a look at things, tell me what's possible, and and give me, you know, the lay of the land in a written report so I can take it to my contractor. It would be a different prospect. But I would say for that basic service, I would expect to pay a thousand dollars average, right? Around the country. If you would and then you could Add on to that with hourly rate or kind of a expanded scope, but I would think you know I'm just I'm just it's just such a
1: valuable use. Dollars are so precious, and and yet the use of our resources is the decision making about how we use our resources is equally precious, and it's such an important resource that you and and this alliance is offering us.
3: I think I think what you identified in having the right team together, especially on the communication side, your architect and your builder who had an established relationship and knew how to communicate and knew their relationship would extend beyond your project. Yes. Makes a huge difference. And that, I think the communication is key in this process because so many things can, I mean, so many, there's so many decisions to be made and so many things can be misunderstood and need to be clarified. And, and, uh,
1: so, you know, Very you're
3: important.
1: highlighting that for anyone who might be looking for the secret sauce, that relationship is so key, but that, part that you just mentioned about the relationship that will extend beyond just our project between the two people who are working on the project right. is so important because it would be so easy for a contractor to abandon one you of do. these projects That's
3: why people walk away from jobs yeah right I'll never see them again right I don't want to work with them
1: right anymore. right I, I don't need to, to come in and do the punch list or the last couple thousand dollars or whatever it's going to be yeah, right. I don't need the headache. And in this space by virtue of just it being a rehab space working with a family, you are working with people who are in the trauma experience. They're they're in it. And so that takes some special skills as well. Right. Right.
3: The other the other piece of it that you were talking about the kind of the ABA knowledge piece I think having that background is certainly beneficial, but like you said, it is geared to commercial applications, right? Yes. Not geared toward the individualized needs that are so specific, especially in spinal bridge. You know, what's the level of the injury? Is it complete or incomplete? You know, what does that mean in terms of what equipment's going to be necessary and how it's placed? and And so I think kind of the basic understanding of ADA and its goals for, you know, uh, trying to make a space as functional as possible are an important baseline, but it's the floor, right? It's not the ceiling, right? And I think that, it really is helpful in these situations to have someone who has the knowledge of the disease process, who has a, a knowledge of what it means to have a certain level of spinal cord injury and what that means functionally to be able to help translate that to the architect and to the builder. So I, I feel like to really individualize a design There has to be that kind of, I don't, I don't feel, I guess, Louise, I don't feel that it's necessary for me to be involved in every home modification project out there. You know, it's, there's plenty of contractors out there who can place a grab bar and, you know, raise a toilet or (laughs) do whatever needs to, you know, modify a bathroom that it's just not, it's not necessary. And it's not a good use of resources. But I think in, in this situation, I think it's really important. And to be able to communicate with your loved one's therapist, to see kind of what their goals are, what the potential is, what they're trying to do in terms of maximizing that person's independence, just as a very practical example, if you have you could go online and look for a ADA bathroom sink, right? And have thousands of options out there, right? But if it's the therapist's goal to have the person be as independent as possible and they have so much trunk control or head control or just to be able to, to be able to brush their teeth, or to be able to lean over and rinse their mouth, do that piece of it. Maybe they can't do all of it, but if they could do that piece of it, because you pick the right sink, I mean, it's really, it's such a small thing, but it's such a huge thing.
1: Quality of to, life, everyday right, kind of thing.
3: to do that, and to and to not be like looking at this thing like it's another barrier another barrier to your independence but it gives you that much that you can do for yourself right and um so it's just and and not everybody has you know has those choices but it's understanding what choices you have and what products out there can make it possible and the placement of those products that can make it work or not work because inches can make a big difference. There's kind of no substitute for having someone with experience help you through all these really profound questions yeah that it's such a steep learning curve all that you have to navigate the medical piece the rehab piece the whole adjustment piece of still how many years later it takes your breath away that this is permanent yeah right yeah And no one can really kind of help you through that, but somebody who's been through it can make you feel like there are lessons, hard lessons learned that maybe you won't have to learn, and that there's support.
1: Well, that's just spot on. And I'm just wondering with your experience, one of the pieces I think is so critical around this home modification process itself and the decision making really being part of the trauma healing journey and i'm wondering if you could do like a psa you know to everyone who's transitioning home after a significant injury or illness what you would say to them
3: that what you're going through is just the hardest thing and what a gift it is to be at home and and it's a gift. Every decision that you make to get your loved one back at home and back to the things they love and the people that they love is just so important. And whatever resources that you can pull to make that happen, it will be it, it, healing, both of you. And it's really, it's a privilege real to be working with families who are going through such profound change and helping them um, launch this new part of their life.
1: certainly not easy, but, you know, with others surrounding you and now you're part of that big family, Kathy, it is easier. And and then you realize that other people do have, you know, these tragedies equal and worse and that we are really all in this together and life does move on. And I think for me, it's been more about really experiencing the the depths of of sadness, but just really experiencing that I can be flexible and change. Mm-hmm. I I mm-hmm. can adapt. Thank you, Kathy. I think that our listeners would have a lovely sense of you and working with just the right person who does understand these monumental transitions and the importance of these decisions and the gentle way that you have coupled with your extensive occupational therapy background and consulting background. It's a really win proposition. So thank you so no. much. Really appreciate
3: it. Nothing Nothing beats having a ferocious mom who is, you know, making sure everything happens too. You are, you've been um, a real inspiration to those of us who've watched you go through this process. at it's really been something. Thank you. With God's grace.
1: Thank you so much, Kathy, for the work that you do to provide ideas during the home renovation decision-making process, taking into consideration new needs for a person transitioning from a hospital back to home after an injury, or for a family member who is experiencing sudden or gradual changes to their health and mobility. Many people may not even be aware of the idea of aging in place. And in the case of a spinal cord injury, almost all were able-bodied until their spinal cord injury and may have had limited experience ever thinking about how they might navigate their homes without the mobility they were used to having. Working with or even a consultation with a knowledgeable person on ADA code requirements and access can provide important support, not just logistical, but also emotional, because just knowing you are being listened to and cared for in a process with so many large and so many very small decisions can relieve much stress in such an uncertain time. And can create the space in a home where deeper healing can occur. I hope you found this conversation as enlightening as I did. Please help us spread this healing resource far and wide. If you learned something today or if you have some insights of your own to share, please reach out to me on Facebook, Instagram, or by email at louise at blinkofaneyepodcast.com. And if you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with a friend who might gain something as well. You can also support the podcast directly by becoming a patron at Patreon. All those links are in the show notes for this episode. Thank you for listening. Together, we are raising the vibration for healing. Life can change in the blink of an eye. Life is so precious. Sending love. Hope for everything. Obtain everything. Love heals trauma. Thank you for tuning in to the Trauma Healing Learnings. You may tune in to the companion Blink of an Eye story at Season 3, Episode 21, Changes to a Home for SCI Recovery. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and following. And thank you for telling your friends about Blink of an Eye Podcast. Together, we are raising the vibration
0: for healing. You've been listening to Blink of an Eye. We ask that you share this with anyone who may need inspiration, a lift, or who may relate. Never miss an episode. Subscribe to Blink of an Eye on our website, BlinkofanEyePodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Blink of an Eye Podcast is sponsored by the Blink of an Eye Nonprofit a nonprofit created as a national resource to help change the way we respond to spinal cord injury, to include trauma healing approaches for families and medical teams across the U.S. Blink of an Eye provides a national team of SCI specialized doctors for expert opinions in the first hours of crisis, a multidisciplinary family support and navigation team for SCI families led by SCI families for the first 30 days of crisis, and a national resource library of trauma-informed responses for the first hours and days after injury, specialized for families, friends, and SCI medical staff. Blink of an Eye also offers a registry of medically unexpected SCI recoveries. That's events.i, the letter c, t-h-a-t, dot org.